welcome to a Baudry Buffet audiobook by Dame Drusel Scream, the Marie Antoinette of Who Dunnet. Though the Dame's family had been very clear that our adaptations would make their mother regret ever putting pen to paper, they recently mentioned they know a lawyer, and we fully freaked out. As an olive branch to the dame's supremely peeved estate, we present a verbatim reading of her classic short story, Caricature Assassination. What is art? Wouldn't it be crazy if I had the answer to that? Like, me specifically, no. But it's a question that philosophers and whatever open mic stand-ups I scream at have been perplexed by for millennia. But I won't abandon the question just because I got banned from so many open mics that they legally have to call them just mics now. If anyone can crack an age-old riddle, it's Bargery Buffet, Detective, and Very Good Heckler. So let me tell you what art is by starting with what art isn't. The Tyler Diamond Art Fair for Novelty and Meaningless Art is of course named for the inventor of tie-dye, and of course, much less art than crafts. Not crafts like a wowser of an origami wedding dress, but crafts, like a half-assed mitten crocheted in the throes of postpartum depression. It happens tri-monthly on a boat called the Craft Raft, and for all these reasons, nothing aboard should be considered art. What is showcased can mainly be found at any county fair, boardwalk, or amusement park too old to be safe. Anywhere that tap water somehow costs money. The boat is pepperonied with kiosks, allowing any old schmuck to make spin art, which is just a neon mess, butter sculptures, which are a waste of good and bad butter, and of course, the booths that claim they can tie-dye anything. They mean it. Once I saw them tie-dye a baby, that little girl grew up to be Rachel Ray. You know what else they have? Sand art. Remember that? It's colored dust you put in layers into a bottle shaped like a star. And if you shake it a single time, it's ruined forever. More than once, I've renewed an apartment lease just to avoid packing up my sand collection. And its potential jostling is the only reason I fear earthquakes. Also, these artisans can do it with pixie sticks sometimes. And when I say artisans, I mean whoever's working there. And by sometimes, I mean when I yell at them until they find me enough pixie sticks to really crust up my jug. This jug of mine being a fishbowl from home I use as a pitcher for martinis or sand art or when I cosplay that I'm the rodent from the Spongebob. But the diamond at the center of this macaroni necklace are the dueling caricaturists. A caricature is just if a funhouse mirror had some notes, and every note was to really lean into your biggest insecurity. So what could be more fun than getting 50 of them done at the same time? You sit in front of an orchestra of cartoonists, each laboring over their little easels, to point out how mama might have cooked you better. And at the end, you have to buy every one that makes you cry. In their free time, the caricaturists hang out like the coolest kids at fencing camp, somehow both aloof and yet having the most fun of anybody. They recline in their fancy folding chairs, the kind you buy when you're just bonkers about your toddler's soccer career, and doodle each other till the sun falls down. And I get to be there too, because I'm so famous. I'm already hanging as a celebrity portrait in most of their displays. You might say I am the merchandise, and I do. Especially when someone tries to high-five me as a sign of affection. Then a mob of art school flunkies envelop me, screeching out, Hands off the merchandise! 
But in the calm of a Tuesday afternoon, we merely watch the face painters and funnel cake sculptors go by and call out what part of their face would be drawn the hugest. He's a lips, she's an ears, he's a doesn't have any teeth, etc. Some idiot loser once said, people are complicated, but deep down, we're all just one part of our face. Anywho, with the crew's death toll at an all-time same, there exists a certain subset of people whose last known photo is a big-headed cartoon of them doing a hobby of their choosing or skateboarding. An odd phenomena, to be sure, but much cuter than morgue photos. So their loved ones come here to find me, often as I'm eating an actual macaroni necklace. Like a jawbreaker or a femur hiding sweet, sweet marrow. I just gnaw on it. Sometimes I even cook it and eat it too, like I also do with jawbreakers and bones. You know how doctors will look at an oil painting, diagnose the old-timey disease like worm pox or dirt fever? Well, I can do that with caricatures and the most deadliest disease of all, getting killed. Now, you might say, bitch, look, I just don't buy it. The whole concept. How do you look at an exaggerated cartoon of someone you've never met and figure out their cause of death? But to that, I would interrupt screaming, spittle, flying. Who better to sketch a soon-to-be corpse than a caricaturist, whose entire job is to find what's wrong with you and enhuge in it. For example, once I got a drawing of a man with a sunglasses tan etched into his face by a real nasty sunburn. His hobby was rock climbing, so his tiny body was dangling off the side of a cliff, and the artist signed it Royal Icelandian Cruise Lines, December 12th. Now the sunburn tells me he doesn't think ahead because he doesn't respect consequences, and the tan tells me he has an almost Jack Nicholsonian devotion to sunglasses. So he went on a rock climbing excursion to some unpronounceable Icelandic mountain, didn't check to see the daylight in December lasts less than five hours, and got caught free soloing at sundown. Of course, moonlight is no match for sun glass, and clutching the side of a cliff is a pretty terrible time to have to remove your Oakleys. I wouldn't be surprised if he tried to shake them off his noggin and head-butted a boulder, then butt-butted the ground. His family didn't love that last part, but I think it was my condescending tone. But this case was something else entirely. Instead of a family member or any loved one, the man who interrupted my great day was Captain Mulch, and his dusty straw hat was adorned with a tiny anchor shovel. It was real cute. I recognized the emblem as that of the seaweed, a ship easily in the top 50 gardening cruises. He shed a muddy tear as he handed me not one, but three caricatures. I cinnamon challenged a flask of sugar sand as he cried. I've never lost three passengers in a single night before, he said, wiping his nose with big green gloves, getting even more compost on his filthy face. Sure, you get the occasional trowel stabbings or someone pricking themselves on the razor-sharp pedal of a daffodil, but nothing like this. The first thing I noticed was the order of the drawings. They were all drawn in a row, with a marker that was running out of ink. Early in the second picture, the artist must have switched to a fresh magic marker. So in chronological marker order, it went a woman, a man, then another woman. The first woman was a textbook mouth. The gap of her yap stretched toothily from ear to shining ear. Her nose was the lighthouse, a tippity-tup, the lipstick beach of her oceanic pie hole. And above that, two eyes sparkled, less sparkly than her teeth. She sat behind a desk that said CFO, because I guess she gave her job as a hobby. Bummer. She was flanked by two bags of money, the burlap dollar sign kind that a pig in a top hat would rob off a peasant in a barrel, in a political cartoon with nothing to say. Lastly, she wore a tiny little locket with a man's face in it. But, because caricature is truly a skill that cannot be taught, I could tell it was the man from drawing number two. The man was an eyes, I think. 
there was something wrong about the second drawing, or more accurately, there was nothing wrong about it. The man's face was almost perfectly in proportion. I cannot stress how unnerving it was to see a caricature where every feature was nitpicked and not a single nit could be found to pick. Imagine the silence of a substitute teacher striding to the front of a 10th grade chem class only to trip, and even the meanest bully can only say, nice to meet ya. I was looking at that exact silence. This face simply must have been the most flawlessly beautiful person on the face of this planet of faces. Da Vinci would weep, and not just out of jealousy, because his caricatures just gave people too many arms and legs, and that's not funny. Oh, what if humans were octopuses? Do better, loser. But if I had to pick, and I do, I'd say this perfectly proportioned man was an eyes. The artist appears to have drawn the head with the fading marker, then looked into the subject's eyes and realized those babies deserved uncapping a fresh Crayola. No rose arts for this king. Then they did the normal nose, right-sized ears, and the non-weird mouth on the irregularly regular face. His body wore karate gi and black belt, and he was chopping a board in half with his perfect hands. After finishing my biz with the pick, I stared at it for another minute, this time for pledge, then moved on to the third drawing. It was another woman, and man was she a nose. Her thin, pointy sniffer jutted out directly at me and followed me like the eyes of Mona Lisa, another dud caricature. It put me in mind of the Prince of Liars, Pinocchio, and her eyes were pointy half-circles like those of Spider-Man, but with pupils and pissed off. She was smiling, though, a smile so wide it nearly qualified her as a teeth. She wore a full chef's outfit, hilarious hat and all, and appeared to be chopping up some vegetables with a knife. Maybe that's what she was smiling about, but let's be honest, those are vegetables. The only people who smile about those are whoever I grace with my flip books, where the veggie tails meet the eggplant emoji. So, three cartoons, three missing passengers, and three more seconds that I could take Captain Mulch sobbing into his gardening smock. I swear to God, that smell, are we just living in the pachyderm house? So let's try and solve this one quick. What do we know? We know Mouth and Eyes were either dating or married, because if you've got a locket of your brother and he's not dead, you are trying your darndest to F your bro. We know Mouth has a high-powered job, Nose likes to cook, Eyes is hopefully a karate teacher and not a child, because of my earlier comments about his handsomeness. We know Nose owns knives, Mouth is rich, and I'm not giving back the picture of Eyes. I've been meaning to spend less money on porn anyway, and yeah, I pay for porn. Put that one in my obituary so they all know what a high-class woman I am. The picture this paints is a simple one, almost like a cartoon of a real person, but their face gets all exaggerated. What is that thing? Oh, I'm describing a caricature. Mouth and eyes are married. Nose kills mouth to get her money. Eyes tries to karate chop her away. Gets killed himself. Case closed. But would a case this closable really haunt mulch for so many years? Case open again, because there's two tiny details I only just noticed, and the picture they paint is far more complicated, almost like a real painting. Detail number one, Isa's portrait doesn't exactly match his picture in the locket. This can be explained away easily-ish. Mouth sat down, the artist drew her in a tiny version of eyes. Then, when eyes sat next, the artist saw the real thing and did a better job. But the only difference in the locket photo is a single line, one that does not appear anywhere on eyes himself. A concave half-squiggle right below the mouth resting so gently on his chin. The implications of this line are potentially explosive, but we'll get to that in a sec. Detail number two. The pictures smell. 
Sure, if they spent years on a dirt boat with a captain whose name is a big bag of stank death, they might end up with some ick. But they smell good. Two of them do, at least. Mouth and nose smell very good. The smell of eyes is strong is, like the rest of him, perfectly normal. It was now all too clear that the truth was much more sinister than a kitchen knife karate fight. There was one last drawing I needed to close this case for real this time, and that drawing was of my favorite masterpiece, Bargery Me Buffet. I sauntered over to the caricaturist district and window shopped the tents. The celebrity portraits, a promise of the artist's accuracy, were always the same few. An Obama with Dumbo grade ears, a chinny Stallone, a lipsy Rihanna. That's when I found it. A Mr. Bean caricature in which the artist had accentuated his neck. Ask any child. Bean is an eyebrows, maybe an ears. I now knew I had who I was looking for. The worst artist on the ship. I announced I was going to sit for a cartoon, and as payment, he gets to tell people about it. Plus, my Yelp ghostwriter might be in touch. I don't know. We took our seats, an easel between us. He introduced himself as Darwin. To say he was an odd-looking guy would be kind, because he was a really odd-looking guy. To say his face was a nightmare carnival of mismatched features was far more accurate, and also probably how I'd put it. He had a huge bushy beard, a shiny silver eye patch, and the space between his eyebrows was colored in with marker. I gestured at the empty easel next to him. I'll take a two-for-none deal, I screeched. He winced, then nodded and scampered out of the tent. He returned with a woman whose arms were covered in tattoos of tiny caricature cartoons, all of them exquisite. This is my girlfriend, Bevelyn, he said as they sat. We do couples drawings. That's so sweet, I lied. And helpful, because I was hoping to get your professional opinion while you draw. In the reflection of Darwin's eye patch, I saw they were both starting on the outline of my head. I took out the three drawings, leaned them against my stool. So, I've got this case. Three missing people off the seaweed, bunch of years ago. I'm gonna reason out my thinking and you stop me if you have any questions. You know, like therapy, but I'm not paying. They nodded, not looking up from their work. What craftspeople? The obvious money is on nose-killing eyes and mouth, but that's no fun. See, when you look right in eyes as eyes, there's something important. Something I can't even name, really. A feeling. Because caricatures aren't what we actually look like when we're gross. They're what the artist imagines we'd look like if we were gross. So we gotta consider the artist's perspective in this. They're on my mouth. Darwin wasn't spending nearly enough time on my tongue as I spoke. It whips around like a snake having an acid freakout. Now when I look at those eyes, I see a change. Not in the subject, but in the artist. When that new marker comes out, it's both more frantic yet more careful. And compared to Nose's wild embellishments, mouth almost looks like photorealism. What if, and this is crazy, the artist exaggerated not only the features, but the truth. They're on my nose. What if the moment the artist looked into Isa's eyes, they fell in love with him? What if he wasn't actually perfect in every feature, but that's how the artist saw him? And what if Isa's karate hobby and Nose's knife and her overall creepiness were made up to forge evidence that Nose was obviously responsible for a double murder? So why even look into it? And now my eyes. I think this caricaturist decided they wanted eyes for themselves. Killed mouth, framed nose, then killed her too. But what's most disconcerting of all of this is for it to work, eyes must have gone along with it. And now my hat. Mouth is wearing a locket of eyes. He's not doing the same. Maybe he was looking for a way out of that relationship, looking for someone less businessy, more artistic. I think when he saw the artist leave the easel for a moment to sprinkle essence of daffodil on the two drawings, he didn't say anything. 
So when Nose and his own wife were handed surprisingly fragrant portraits and the clumsy artist pulled back, giving them a poisonous paper cut, he found it exciting. Flattering. All that was left was to bury the bodies, easy on a gardening boat of nothing but Olympic pool-sized deep lawns, and jump ship at the next stop. They were still on my hat. The hat I was wearing is very complicated. The brim is an M.C. Escher-style impossible shape. But all of this is absurd. To prove the crime, I'd have to prove the drawings were a lie, and there aren't any inconsistencies. Oh, wait. No. No, it, it couldn't be. I mean, no, it definitely could be and probably is. I guess I'll say it if we've got time, since my hat has so many pieces, and the front is somehow behind the back. In the locket picture, before the artist fell in love with eyes, they drew him as he really is. Just quickly, small. But they added this line. A cleft in the chin. Eyes, the real eyes, has a butt chin. Tell me, in what world would a caricaturist ignore a butt chin? It's a face part, but it looks like a butt part. Yeesh, still in my hat. A butt chin is the perfect cartoony feature to emphasize. Almost as good as a weird eye patch or a fake unibrow or a big beard to cover a funny butt chin. If you, for example, you Darwin, helped someone, I don't know, let's say Bevelin, to kill your wife and escaped into the world of caricaturists, you sure wouldn't want to be identified. So you'd give yourself outlandish face crap that your cartoonist friends would focus on instead and you'd be bad at caricatures because as I always say, it's a skill that cannot be taught. Any questions for me? I could see in the reflection that Darwin's hands were shaking. Bevelin very carefully took out a glass pen with bubbling yellow fluid inside. <laughs> a poison-filled marker if I've ever seen one and I hadn't, not until now. She drew X's over my eyes, then outlined the sides of the drawing. What's your hobby? She whispered. Catching perps and owning twerps, I said as I jumped off the stool, rifled through my pockets, took a swig of my sand art, then found the handcuffs and reached for Bevelin's cartoon tattooed hand. But instead she thrust her drawing into my hand. I could whiff death a dilge from here. If she pulled up, I'd get a paper cut that would put some real X's over my real eyes. For a charged moment, we stood there, trapped in this paper handshake. A standoff, not of who could be more polite, but rather who wanted to get out of this more, which is a lot like a politeness standoff, but far more dangerous. Suddenly, she moved her hand up. So did I. Then down. I matched. I couldn't risk letting go and leaving some thumb skin to snag, so we moved that paper up, down, left, right, over and over, like a deadly interpretive dance. The caricaturists had gathered around us, murmuring, Hands off the merchandise? But more as a plea this time. They could smell something was wrong from the look in my eyes, my cartoon eyes on the paper, which were X's. Some wanted to help. Some stood with their own portraits of me at the ready, prepared to update it to match how dead I might be about to be. I get it. If you're going to buy a cartoon of a person who has passed, you definitely want them to be dead in the drawing. That's why my painting of Lincoln has a tongue lolling out, like Bart Simpson's when his father manhandles him. I spied with my alive eyes Bevelin give Darwin a glare to gesture at the poison marker and he snuck around behind me to get it. Then my other hand closed around my sand art bottle. I sighed quietly. I hate to shake it up and ruin it, but to be fair, there's no sand art in hell. It just melts into glass. It's so hot there. I swung my arm, spraying Bevelin's face with the pixie stick dust, and I heard the sugar burn her eyes like the roar of Pop Rocks in coffee. 
Darvin stabbed at me with a marker, but I had just enough sand left for one eye, and luckily that's all he had showing. He went down too, and I handcuffed them both to their easels. Easels are very thin. So I cuffed them to the stool, the tent, and each other, just to be safe. The caricaturist cheered, because me being alive is less work for them. Damn you, Bargery Buffet, growled Bevelin. Lock us up all you want. You'll never have love like we do. Right, Darvin? Then Darvin was like, uh, yeah, which was a bad look. Darvin's such a wimp. Captain Mulch, over here. I saw your cartoon crime. It was these two. They'll explain, maybe, or no one will. Who knows? Take them away. The captain ran over, shaking my hand with his snotty, muddy gloves, then tried to figure out how to move an entire tent handcuffed to itself. And so I was free to deboard this artless fair and indulge in my other hobby. Kicking glass and waking James. Breaking into Jim Belushi's house and shaking him awake. I call him James because we're friends. Anyway. Thank you for joining us. Especially you, Andrewsel and Jerisa Scream. We hope you enjoyed this and we're very sorry about your late mother's beheading. We wish the best to the hounds searching for her missing head. Join us next time for the audiobook, Widowed in a Widow House.